0: So we all have a circle of friends with some interesting characters in it, right? We have people in our lives that are interesting. And we all have that person in our life that's always the person that says, I got a guy for that. You know that person? I got a guy. So, you know, you're, you're talking to your friends and go, man, my transmission is acting up and I'm not sure what to do. I don't want to bring it to some shyster you know, and the guy, dude, I got a guy, right? That person, I got a guy for you that can take care of that. Or you may, uh, you know, I'm looking for a new job and this opportunity opened up in this company and it's a great company and benefits and there's a zillion people applying. Dude, just wait, I I got a guy. I know a guy who knows a guy that can get you an interview in that place. Or I have this love for the sports player or this musician i love to see him and i can't get tickets to the game or to the concert don't worry i got a guy i got somebody that can help you get that ticket they'll get you backstage passes to that situation i got a guy i can't man i need a medical specialist i called it's 13 months till i can get to see them don't worry they got a guy for everybody you know these people i got a guy i got a guy i got a guy and it's usually you know someone who knows someone that gets the things that you need done. I mean it's kind of simple part of basic life that really life isn't about what you know, it's who you know, right? You get that. That, That's just true. We all need a guy, somebody to help us get through to the things we want most. And you may know this, you may not, but you're here today in church. You're online watching, you're here in the center, you're in the chapel. You're here because you knew a guy, a guy. So at some point in your life, maybe it was decades ago, maybe it was days ago, maybe it happened this week, you're talking to your friends or your family and you're going, man, my life is a train wreck. Man, things aren't good. I, I feel lost, I, I'm not sure which way to turn, I don't know what direction to go, I'm not sure how to handle this situation and somebody in your circle of relationships says to you, I know a guy. His name is Jesus. And somebody, somewhere, somewhere along the line introduced you, maybe again a long time ago, or said, hey, I want you to meet this guy. And they invited you to church to hear about a guy. Maybe that happened this week for you and you're here today because of that kind of conversation and relationship. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you've been following Jesus for decades or whether you're curious and you're thinking about him and wondering about him, where we are today in our study of the book of John really is about a guy telling us about his guy. It's John, the author of the Gospel of John, saying, I've got a guy I gotta tell you about. His name is Jesus, and he can change anything and everything for you. So we're just beginning this series. You're just starting out into it. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, in the New Testament. Uh, If you have electronic copy, paper copy in the app, you can open that up and you'll find this passage there. And last week we began talking about John's guy, and he started to introduce this guy to us. And what's interesting, as you get to John chapter 1, verse 6 is where we're going to be today, just a reminder of where we were last week, that John is introducing his guy and his guy he calls the Word right? The guy he's talking about, he calls in these first couple verses the Word. He says, in the beginning, my guy was the Word, and my guy was with God, and my guy was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, And the darkness has not overcome it. This is where we talked last week that the word, he uses the word to represent his guy. The word means all the invisible thoughts of God are made visible to us through the person of Jesus Christ. So he's trying to say the invisible things of God. This is who showed up. So Jesus isn't just a Jewish carpenter. He's not a good moral teacher. He's the eternal Son of God, fully man. He makes these invisible thoughts alive to us. So to see and to hear Jesus, to see what Jesus does, to hear what Jesus says, is to see and hear the very heart of God. That's what John is trying to say about his guy. And so these first Five verses are this very powerful way, this guy was in the beginning and he was with God and he was God. And let me tell you more about him. He's, he's, he's unrolling a resume of someone powerful that he wants you to know about. So let's jump a little bit further into verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So he's trying to describe the resume of his guy, and he introduces someone. Do you see that? He introduces a guy named John. He says, and then there was this other guy named John, sent by God. I think it's worth pausing here for a moment and going, who's John? And what John is he talking about? Is he talking about the John who wrote the book or a different John? Actually, he's talking, there's two different Johns you should know about. It's really important to know this. So we're just slowing down. There's two different Johns. Just explain this. There's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is this crazy, wild man that we're going to talk about next week a lot. But he's the John that's being referenced in verse 7. And he's the John that's Okay, there's a John that's going to come and be a witness to testify about the guy. That's the John. Okay, but there's another John. I know, this is confusing, right? That's why we got to draw pictures. There's another John. His name is John the Evangelist. And John the Evangelist is the one who wrote the book we're reading. Here's what's incredible. Both these two men, they have the same name, but they also have the same purpose. See, both of them... says in verse 7 and 8 that this John the Baptist, he came so that we might know he would testify about the guy who all should believe in. But John the evangelist is also doing the same thing. When he wrote this book, we talked about in the intro, these things are written, John the evangelist said, that the Messiah, the Son of God, that you might believe on him and have life in his name. So these two guys have the same purpose. And here it is. They're both sent to point to Jesus. John the Baptist, again, we'll talk more about him next week, he's going to point ahead to Jesus and say, hey, there's a guy that's coming. He's incredible. Believe him. He's the son of God. But then John the evangelist, he's this old guy. Fifty years later, after he walked with Jesus, he saw with his first hand experience with Jesus, watched Jesus nailed to a cross, watched him put into a grave, watched him ascend. Fifty years later, he writes this book so that we would know about his guy. Both these two guys are going, look at my guy, Jesus. He will satisfy everything you need to know. Both of them have a guy, and they're saying, you got to believe in him. Because he can change everything. Believe in this, the eternal Son of God who has come to earth. He will satisfy your deepest desires. What happens next in verse 10 really answers the question, why do we struggle believing? Because as humans, we have these two people telling us we should believe, and maybe lots of people telling us we should believe in God, believe in Jesus. Why do we struggle so much with believing? I think verse 10 helps to unpack that. He says, he, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. This word, this eternal Son of God, came into the world, and he's the one who made everything. But people didn't recognize him. They weren't able to see him. They didn't comprehend him. Why? This is sort of basic for all of us. We don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in God, because pride blinds us. We don't recognize there is a God who made everything, because we are self-centered, proud people. Here's how I know this to be true. When I see a little baby, I don't think, listen, if you're a child here, don't get nervous. I I don't think that a stork brought the baby here. I I know something about birds and bees, don't you? Which means this little baby didn't come from nowhere and just, just, blunk, land in our laps. Something had to happen to make that thing. You get me? When I hear beautiful music, when I see beautiful art and architecture, do I just assume that those things just happened? I don't go, "Wow, well, that just sort of happened, those musical notes came together, that art started to happen. no, 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 no. I go, wait, with every baby, there's parents. With every piece of art, there's an artist. With every incredible piece of technology, there's an inventor. I connect the dots that something was made by someone. There's a design and a purpose. But somehow as humans, when it's, we start to look at mountains and animals and skies and stars, we go, nah, nobody made that. We're just out here all by ourselves. Nah, not, no creator, no designer. Why do we do that? We do that because we're arrogant. We're proud. We think we're in control, and we're on top of, and we get to determine what is and isn't. You see, for me to believe that someone created and designed this universe means there's somebody I gotta listen to, and I don't wanna listen to anybody, do you? If I'm going to make the mental decision that there is a creator, then that means that I have someone to listen to, and there's a design behind my life. And I don't want to think about that, because then that means, wait, I can't just do whatever the heck I want, whenever I want. It's a lot easier just to believe, oh, this is all an accident. And that's pride that keeps me from seeing that there is a God. I deny a Creator. The eternal Son of God was in the world, though the world was made through Him. The world didn't recognize Him. I don't want to see a Creator, because then I have to answer to a Creator. And I don't like that. Blind me, please. I don't want to see. But there's another reason we don't believe. In verse 11, it says this word came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This eternal word came to his own. So all the world didn't recognize him, and then he came specifically to his own. What is John talking about there? He's talking about how Jesus was born into a Jewish family. Okay, why is that significant? God looks at all humanity and sees how rebellious and broken we all are. And He chooses, before this moment, thousands of years earlier, He chooses to say, you know, what? of all the people of the earth, I'm gonna choose the Jewish people to show my special grace and love. I'm gonna make a contract with those people and I'm gonna show the world how good I am. Even though you're all rebels, I'm gonna show specifically how good I am to this group of people I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. I'm going to be faithful to you even if you're not faithful to me. And the Jewish people rebel against God even though he lavishes on them grace and power, mercy and truth. They have all kinds of truth and they rebel against him. But God still sends his one and only son to a Jewish mom and dad to show the world the grace and truth of God. And yet what we know about the Jewish people in the Gospels is they're the ones, the religious people were the ones who rejected Jesus, who were intimidated by Jesus, who tried to eliminate Jesus. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. The religious people of His time that were Jewish were like, nah, I want no part of this. Why? Because people don't believe in Jesus because of religion. Religion blinds us. These were very religious people. They had their traditions and their way. This is the way we've always done it. And this is how it must be done. And for us to do that, we have to have this rule and that rule and this rule and that rule. And Jesus didn't fit into their grid. He didn't fit into their paradigm. He didn't fit into their worldview, into their perspective. He didn't fit into their little religious box. And because of that, they rejected him. They say, no, nope, it can't be him. And doesn't that happen all the time? I mean, how many people in your workplace say, I don't want nothing to do with religion. I've seen what people have done in the name of religion. I've seen how institutions and denominations and leadership and organized religion, I've seen what organized, and they reject it because they want nothing to do with it. Religion, tradition, Denomination can box everything up into some nice little package that prevents us from actually hearing, seeing, experiencing the Word of God. The Jewish people thought Jesus was too loving, too gracious, too truthful, too pure, and the religious establishment had to silence Him and get rid of Him. And that's so often what happens to us. Religion, the trappings of religion get in the way. This is how I do church. This is how I sing. This is how I lead. This is how I, how I, how I, and it doesn't fit into my box when Jesus does something different and I can't see him or hear him. John's saying, I have a guy who can give you hope, who can give you peace, who can give you joy. But either you're too proud, there's no God. I don't need him, or maybe too religious to see who he is and what he's like. But check out the good news of verse 12. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He gave the right to become children of God. This is really at the center of what John's trying to communicate. He says, I know a guy. He's the son of God. This may blow your mind, but he comes to earth. Believe him. Believe him, and you will have life. You will become a part of the family of God. And this is incredible. I mean, this isn't work harder, earn a spot on the team. This isn't my ancestors did this in a certain way, and therefore I'm born into this. This isn't a certain class that I went to or denomination that I'm a part of. He says, believing is receiving adoption into the family of God. The only criteria for gaining access to God the Father is through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life and it's simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you become a part of the family. And when you're a part of the family, and you have the right relationship with God the Father, and you're part of a family with brothers and sisters, you have everything you'll ever need in that family. That's what John wants to communicate to us. This is available to all of us And I don't know if it's exciting for you today to think that by faith in Jesus Christ you're a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Maybe that doesn't excite you. And maybe it doesn't excite us because we hear that kind of lingo all the time and we take for granted the fact that He makes us sons and daughters, not by anything but just by faith. So, So maybe I'll explain it this way. You know when you're like a little kid in second grade, you're on the playground, and you have one of those little kid kind of arguments, my dad is bigger than your dad argument, you know those? You know the kids are bickering, doing all their thing, and they're going, my dad, and and, you know, some kid says, well, my dad's a teacher, and my dad gets to tell all the other kids what to do, and when school's not in session, I get to run around the gym, because my dad's a teacher, and then some other kid goes, well, my mom is a manager, and she makes bucks, and she gets to tell the whole company what to do, and she's got season tickets to the Eagles, and you're like, oh, and then somebody goes, my dad is God. Does that win? Like, does that, do you, do you you win when you drop that? Do you, do you, do you actually win that argument? My dad is the king of kings and the lord of lords. My dad knows everything about everyone and loves everyone. My dad has given everything so I could be forgiven and live with him forever. My dad says nothing can separate me from his love. My dad says he'll go with me anywhere and everything and will always be with me, even to the very end of the age. My dad says he can give me peace when I ask for peace. He can give me joy when I ask for joy. My dad is bigger than your dad. Somehow we've lost the wonder of the fact that when by faith we put our hope and trust in Jesus, we gain access to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is our Father, which art in heaven and which lives in our hearts today, and that's a game changer that wins everything. But we lose the wonder of it, the simplicity of it, the beauty, but that's what's been offered to us by believing in Jesus' name. And one of the things I love about John's gospel, and you'll see this, in these first 18 verses, he drops the word "believe" a couple times, but through the rest of the gospels, he's going to drop the word "believe" 125 times. 125 times, he's going to say, "Believe, believe, 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 believe believe believe. He's going to say, "Believe." Because he's got a guy. That's the king. And he's putting on display and saying, believe. And this is incredible. Of the 125 times he says, believe, he never puts a word in front of that and defines how you're supposed to believe. He doesn't say now fully believe. He doesn't say you've got to sincerely believe. He just says, believe. Because he understands that believing is hard. He understands that sometimes we believe, and sometimes we don't. He gets the fact that we're on a journey to believe, and that as we believe and we are adopted into the family of God, it's a journey that we begin to trust God and learn and grow. His standard isn't if you don't believe 125 percent then you don't really believe. He invites us onto a journey, and he says, follow Jesus, believe. Follow Jesus, believe. Follow Jesus, believe. And you will have life, an abundant life now in his name. He gives us one last point in Jesus' resume that is very compelling. Starting in verse 14, he says, this word, this word became flesh, my guy." who is God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made God known to us. No one has ever laid lies on God the Father until Jesus came to the earth, until the invisible became visible, the infinite became finite, the omnipotent became a baby, The distant came close. The Word became flesh. God became a man. Those longing to hear a word from God bumped into Jesus because His dwelling was among us. Verse 14, incredible, that God made His dwelling among us. Literally, God pitched a tent next to you, that if you're out camping, He set up his tent right next to you. He moved into your apartment complex, into your subdivision. He moved into your neighborhood. He started work in the cube next door. He joined your landscape crew. He started to teach at the same elementary school. He also is a coach for youth sports. He showed up at the ER. He joined AA just to connect with you, just to know you. He sat next to you at lunch. He came to a funeral. He was tempted. He wept. The God who made us knows us, and he set up shop right with us so that we could hear him, see him, and know him, and gain access to God the Father for all eternity promises to satisfy every need. And what John 1.14 tells us is that when he showed up, he moved into your neighborhood. He came full of grace and truth. There's a lot of people full of a lot of stuff. Jesus came full of God's grace and God's truth, which means he's brimming to overflow with divine grace and divine truth. This is incredible, because to see Jesus, to follow Jesus, is to have access to divine grace and divine truth. If you want divine, if you want to hear a word from God, if you want to know what your purpose is in life, if you want peace, if you want joy, The eternal second person of God showed up in your neighborhood full of God's grace and God's truth. And when you follow him, it spills on you. When you follow him, it spills on you. And as we begin to believe, because it's a journey. As we begin to believe, we begin to receive grace upon grace in perfect doses to meet our daily needs. His invitation is simple. Just come follow me. And as you follow me, watch as divine grace and divine truth spills on top of you. Remember, these first 18 verses are the job description of John's guy that he wants us to believe in. And he kind of goes deep and wide. And then from this verse 18 through the rest of the book, 21 chapters, He's going to tell story after story after story after story to put on display. Here's his resume. It's powerful and deep, verses 1 through 18. Now let me tell you story after story after story after story to bring this guy alive so that you might see my guy. In your app, I put some scripture references from the book of Philippians, the book of Hebrews, book of 1 John, to help you see further and deeper more who the person of Christ is. And this week, all across the valley, our small groups are starting in people's homes where we're starting to look at and learn and talk about what this means because some of this is hard and complex. And when you're in relationship with other people, you can explore these things together. So if you're not in a group, we'd love to help you find one. Let us know. Here's how I'll finish. It's always true that pride and religion keeps you, prevents you from receiving God's grace and God's truth. It's always pride that cuts off the flow of God's grace and God's truth. So if you're arrogant enough to say there isn't a God and self-centered enough to think you can figure all this out, you're not going to receive the grace and truth of God that He wants to offer you. If you've been following Jesus forever and choosing to live a lifestyle that you know contradicts clear teaching and you're surprised that you're not experiencing the grace and truth of God, because you're proud. But religion does the same thing. When when you have to box God in, oh, that's too gracious, that's too truthful, too nice, he's too polite, Jesus, too loving if he doesn't fit into your ancestry, if he doesn't fit into your denomination, into your catechism, if he doesn't fit into your religious view, that's always gonna stop his grace from coming your way because you've boxed him out of the game and say, no, you can't. The moment you say no to the eternal son of God, you can't give me grace and truth because you don't fit into my religious box, you're gonna miss out. But to the humble, his grace and truth come. To those walking and seeking a relationship with Jesus, His grace and truth comes. So humble yourself and be careful that you don't hold on to a tradition or a religion and let go of a relationship because that will stalemate your journey to discover and learn and follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Incredible how gracious You are, God, that You, so strong, full of knowledge, who designed everything, would understand how deeply we need to hear a word from You. And You would send that word in a person, rather than shouting from a mountain, Shouting from the sky, you sent your one and only Son into the world to fully represent your heart, your mind, your purpose for us. So humble us and open our eyes to see Jesus. So humble us to not get caught up in religious traps. So humble us that we might follow you, for in you and through you is all the grace And all the truth we need that will satisfy every longing of every heart. We're so grateful you loved us first and came our way. All you want of us is to receive the gift. To receive it, yes, and be adopted into your family. But to receive it daily that we would walk hand in hand with you. And know true life and light through you and only you. Thank you for being our way and our truth and our light. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.